Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. You don't have to go far in this world to find people who just have this deep-seated hatred for Jesus. Why is that? Well, Jesus himself told us what it was. He said, the world hates me because I testify that its deeds are evil. And man, that is it right there, isn't it? Because nobody likes to be told that they are wicked. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Colossians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 23, in a message titled, Christ the Reconciler. Now, here's Pastor Brian. We are here in our study through Colossians. We are on a journey through Paul's letter to the Colossians, and we're looking at a portion of the scripture that we read today. We're not going to look at the whole thing because we've covered much of it, but I want us to be able to continue to be reminded of the context. But today, we're going to look specifically about what it means Christ is the reconciler. And we're told that in verses 19 through 23 that we read in the larger reading. But let me just remind you really quickly, previously we looked at that great statement by Paul regarding the true and full identity of Jesus. Remember in verses 15 through 18, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And and right on down through that. Now that has been referred to as uh, some people have, have taken that portion of scripture and, and said, this is a, a description of the cosmic Christ. And I remember reading a book years ago by Thomas Cahill. He's the author of uh, such books as How the Irish Saved Civilization. And uh, one of his books is called Desire of the Everlasting Hills. And that's a book that's about the life and person and ministry of Jesus. And in one chapter, He's talking about what Jesus was from Paul's point of view, and he entitled the chapter The Cosmic Christ. And I remember years ago reading that thinking, wow, that, I, I like that, The Cosmic Christ. But the idea there is that he is the Lord over the cosmos. He's the Lord over all things. And of course, that's what Paul is saying in those passages, verses 15 through 18. But Paul goes on to tell us that Christ is also the one through whom God has reconciled his estranged creation, including his estranged children. And that's the focus of verses 19 through 23. So let me just read them again, and then we're going to jump in and look at this whole idea of reconciliation. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became 
a minister. And so here in the passage, again, we want to emphasize just this whole idea of reconciliation. In the passage, we have the what, who, how, and why of Christ's work of reconciliation. The what, who, how, and why. So that's how we're going to break it down. We want to look at the work of Christ in reconciling all things really to God, but we want to break it down in that way. Now, before we do that, let me give you just a quick definition. So the word reconcile, I mean, it's a word that we're fairly familiar with. You don't use it every day necessarily, but you know, it's, it's a word that we know. And in English, the word simply means to restore a friendship or to restore a relationship to harmony, a relationship that's been fractured, a relationship that's been strained in some way. So a reconciliation is when two parties that have been you know, separated from one another are brought back together. That's the, the meaning of the English word. The Greek word translated reconciliation basically means the same thing, but it can also be understood to speak of the removal of all hostility as to leave no obstacle to unity and peace. So in Christ's reconciling work, he has removed all hostility. Now, remember, we we read the words here, enemy. Now, enemies have hostility toward one another. That's kind of the nature of, of an enemy or being at enmity with someone, right? Well, the reconciliation is that all of that hostility has been removed and every obstacle has been taken out of the way that would prevent unity and peace. And so that's what Jesus has done. He has reconciled us to God. But let's start with just the what he reconciled. Now, Paul begins with this larger picture. He says that all things on earth and in heaven have been reconciled by Christ. All things on earth and in heaven. Now, here he's talking about, again, the universe, the idea, you know, the cosmic Christ. He's Lord over the entire universe. And somehow, in ways that we don't fully understand, the unity and harmony of the cosmos has, through sin and rebellion, suffered a rupture. A dislocation has occurred that must be put right again. Now, the Bible hints at this. There's an interesting passage in Hebrews chapter 10 that speaks of the necessity of heavenly things being purified, and they were purified by the blood of Christ. Now, you wonder, like, what? How, how could heavenly things need to be purified? We understand how things on earth would need to be purified, but the, the things on earth, it says, are copies of the things in heaven, and the things in heaven were purified by a greater sacrifice. The author is talking about the sacrifice of Christ. How, how would heaven need to be purified? Well, we don't know exactly, but we do know that from the time of the rebellion and the fall of the devil, you know, Satan, uh, we sometimes refer to him as Lucifer, from that time, we know that there was a, a, a defilement that took place in the heavens. We know, not perfectly, but we know to some sense that there was a great revolt that this person we call the devil led, and we surmise that a third of 
of the angelic host followed him in his rebellion. And we see in a number of passages as we read through the Bible, we see a number of times where he, even though fallen, even though rebellious, even though in his position of resisting God, we see that he still has access to the presence of God. We see that in the book of Job. We see that in uh, the book of Jeremiah. We even have it hinted to in the book of Revelation. So the presence of the evil one would then, I think, obviously, it would bring some sense of defilement. But what Jesus did through his reconciling work and what he will ultimately do is he will reconcile all things. So all of those things that need to be put right, he will put them right. And that includes the things that we can't see, the invisible world, It includes the things that we can see. It includes all of creation. So the Bible teaches that creation is presently in a a state of anticipation of being delivered from the bondage of corruption. Romans chapter eight teaches us that, that creation itself is groaning. Verses 19 through 22 of Romans 8. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. For the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So you see that here, the bondage to decay. And then he says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. So all of the created order is groaning and longing for this day when this bondage to decay or bondage to corruption when this is no longer the case. Now, Jesus has laid the foundation for that to be the reality for creation, but the full implementation of it has not happened yet. It will happen when the Lord returns. But when he says that he's reconciled all things, those are the things that he's talking about. So nature itself, I mean, think of nature for a second, how amazing nature is. Think of how beautiful you know, various aspects of nature are. And yet we know that nature is currently, presently under a curse. But one day that curse is going to be lifted and that's part of the reconciliation that Paul's talking about. So what has he reconciled? He's reconciled all things on earth and in heaven. Who has he reconciled? And now this is more specific and more personal. He has reconciled those who were alienated and enemies and showing their alienation and their enmity by their lifestyle, by their behavior, by their wicked works. Now, remember, Paul's writing this to the Colossians. The Colossians are people who are unfamiliar with the God of Israel. They're unfamiliar with the Jewish people in in the sense of their covenant. They're outside of that. They're idolaters. They're, They're people who are given over to following the dictates of their own heart. There are people who would be involved in all kinds of vile and and wicked practices. But the Colossians weren't alone in that. They're neighbors. They're close by community of the Ephesians. They were in the same situation. And Paul says almost identical words to the Ephesians. But the truth is, it wasn't just the Colossians or the Ephesians. It's everybody. 
You see, what's being described here is the condition of every single person by nature. Every person by nature is alienated and enemies of God engaged and involved in wicked works, things that are an affront and an offense to God. That's every human being. Now, that is not a message that people want to hear, is it? You know, you, sometimes it can be so perplexing. You wonder, why are people so upset when you mention the name of Jesus? Why are there so many who are, are so hostile toward Jesus Christ? I mean, when you just read through the pages of the New Testament, you find the greatest man that ever lived, the most kind and, and caring and, and loving and considerate and, and patient and helpful. And, you know, all of those things, you, you look at Jesus and you think, how could anybody be so hateful toward Jesus? But you don't have to go far in this world to find people who just have this deep-seated hatred for Jesus. Why is that? What is that? Well, Jesus himself told us what it was. He said, the world hates me because I testify that its deeds are evil. And man, that is it right there, isn't it? Because none of us, nobody likes to be told that they are wicked. Nobody wants to be told that they are sinful. That is something that goes against the grain of my pride as a human being. You can say a lot of things, but don't, you know, don't you dare tell me that I'm not a good person. Don't tell me that I'm not worthy. Don't tell me those things. That, that is something that man just recoils. The, the doctrine of total depravity, meaning that we are so sinful that we could never save ourselves. We have to have somebody outside save us. That, of course, would be the Lord. Uh, that is a doctrine that is pushed back on, has always been pushed back on, but it is, in our day and age, it is very much a doctrine that is resisted, opposed, and rejected. But like I said, it's not just today that people feel this way. Back in the 1700s, there was a well-known preacher in those days in England, but also here in the colonies. His name was George Whitfield. And, and George Whitfield had a woman who was, she was a dear friend. She was a wealthy, aristocratic woman. And she would support Whitfield's ministry. And, you know, being part of the aristocracy was unusual for somebody to have that deep kind of evangelical faith like she did. But she had a burden and she wanted her friends to come to know Christ as well. So on one occasion when George Whitfield was in town and he was going to be preaching, she invited this woman, her name was, or she was known as Lady Huntingdon. She invited her friend, the Duchess of Buckingham, to come and hear George Whitfield preach. And this is the Duchess's reply to her. She said, it is monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl on the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting, and I cannot but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiments so much at variance with high rank and good breeding. So in other words, she just said, I don't know how you listen to this man. He actually talks to us and tells us that we're sinners. 
He tells us that we're just like everybody else. Now, notice what she's saying. She's not saying that there aren't people who are sinners. She's saying, but we're not because we are, as, as she put it here, interestingly, we are of high rank and good breeding. You know, and it's the same thing that we would have today. Some people, now they're willing to concede that there are certain people in the culture that are sinners, but they're not part of that. And, you know, they have their different people that they would look at and say, well, yes, I understand that person's a sinner or whatever. And, you know, they need help, but, but don't put me in that category. I'm different. See, this is, this is human nature. This is our rebellion against what God has to say about us. But what God says is that we are alienated and we are enemies by our wicked works. So this is our natural condition, but here is the amazing thing. Notice he says to them, he says, you once were this. So they're no longer that. How did they go from being alienated and enemies to being the people of God, the beloved of God? Well, that happened because of their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, the great hymn that we have sung, all of us have sung it, Amazing Grace. That hymn is so well known. It's not even limited to being sung by church people. You know, they sing it in pubs. They sing it at sporting events. Certain musicians over the years who had no particular faith in Christ. You know, it's just one of those classic songs. So so many people have sung it. But think about the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, you know, if you walked up to somebody and called them a wretch, that is not a compliment. That is not anything that anyone's going to be real happy about. And very few people want to admit that I am a wretch. But that's what the lyrics to the song say. But remember who wrote the song. And maybe you don't even know who wrote the song. Well, it was written by a man named John Newton. John Newton became an Anglican priest uh, later on in life. He became a pastor over a church. But as a younger man, he was a ship owner and he was a slave trader. And he would bring slaves from the Western coast of Africa. He would transport them to England and he would sell them. And along the way, many of them would die. They would be in the most horrific conditions imaginable. And, and, you know, he did all of this for profit. But there came a moment where he was converted. There came a moment when he was saved. And when he would think back on that time in his life and on those things that he was involved in, his conclusion was, a wretch. I am a wretch. But what is he saying? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And so we, we have to always remember that the gospel is for those who are alienated and enemies and engaging in wicked works. That's who Jesus came to reconcile to God. That's who all of us were to some degree or another. And We, when we think about God's goodness toward us in reconciling this group of people to himself, 
we stand amazed and we heartily join in to the chorus with Newton and others. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. So he has reconciled those who were alienated and enemies. How did he reconcile us? Well, we're told here through the blood of his cross and secondly, in the body of his flesh through death. So this is how the reconciliation was accomplished. It was through the blood of his cross. And it was through his death. It was through the body of his flesh. Jesus, he reconciled us to God by paying with his own blood the penalty for the sins that had alienated us from God. So this is the gospel. This is atonement. This is Christ being our substitute. He gave his life in exchange for us. Jesus said it himself. He said, the son of man came to give his life as a ransom. He paid the price. You see, there's a penalty to sin. You know, some people ask the question, many times people will ask this, you know, why did there have to be like this payment that was made. Why didn't God just forgive sin? Why couldn't he just say, okay, that was wrong. You shouldn't have done that, but let's just get a fresh start. But you know, if you think about it, there's always, when it comes to forgiveness, there's no way around some form of suffering. If anybody's ever going to forgive anyone of anything, there's going to be some suffering that's involved. So if, let's just say, you know, I sinned against you. I did something grievous against you. And and then I came to you and I asked you to forgive me. Now you could, let's just say it was even criminal. I'm putting myself in a very bad light here, but uh, I wouldn't do that. But let's just say for argument's sake, it was. It it was even criminal. And you had two choices in one sense. You could say, no, I'm going to go to the law and, you know, this is going to be brought before a judge and the the full punishment for what you did is going to be meted out on you. That's what I'm going to press for. Or you could say, well, okay, I'm I'm just going to forgive that. Now, in either case, there's going to be suffering. I might suffer as a result because you press charges and that suffering brings you satisfaction. Okay, he got what he deserved. Or if you decided not to do that, guess what? You would have to suffer. You would have to suffer what? You would have to suffer the fact that I did those things and and yet you forgave them, but there's pain in forgiving. That's a difficult thing. You're taking a loss. You're bearing the brunt of all of that. So you see, when we say about God, like, well, why doesn't God just forgive? There's no such thing as forgiveness without some form of suffering. And God being the just and righteous and holy God that he is, he requires that there be a penalty that is paid for the sins. But here's where the amazing love of God comes in. He steps in to pay the penalty himself. And that's what Jesus did. That's what reconciliation is about. He removed the hostility. The hostility was the judgment that was due to our sins. He removed the hostility by bearing it himself. 
For the month of April, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Selves by Sam Albury. We live in a body that is subject to age, accidents, and ailments. Entire industries are built around the age of our body, the accidents we may face, and the ailments we eventually face through time and circumstance. So is there a purpose in the bodily brokenness we are either facing or will face in the future? Is physical death the temporal climax of our bodily existence? Or is the body just a shell from which we are to ultimately escape? If you've ever wrestled with any of these questions, or you know someone who wants to know more about the ultimate purpose of the body, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Selves by Sam Albury, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Colossians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.